And I jokingly would say, you tricked me into this marriage because I wasn't going to marry a police officer. Now, what is the hardest part today? Oh, every day missing him. Miss him. From Boston 25 News, this is First on Scene, a podcast about the people who run toward danger, about those who become heroes in our darkest hour. Thanks for joining us for First on Scene. We appreciate you all listening, and we appreciate the feedback we've been getting about this podcast and the different episodes we've been putting out. I was just talking with our producer, Dalton Main, one of the web producers here for Boston 25, and this is really his brainchild and uh, came up with this idea. This is our 12th episode where we focused on the people who protect us. When we first launched this, and as I mentioned, Dalton had this idea, he said, I think there's a real opportunity to share some powerful stories. And we typically typically bring you the stories from the perspective of first responders. And today, we are looking at this through a very different lens, and it is a very tough subject. I was shocked when someone said to me, more police officers die from taking their own lives than they do in the line of duty. The numbers truly are unreal. Blue Help, a group in Avon, Massachusetts, they track this. And the numbers really are incredible. More than 100 officers die every year from taking their own lives. And this is a subject so many are afraid to talk about. So today we are going to talk about it. And joining me here in our podcast studio is Cheryl Ames, the wife of Sergeant Gregory Ames. She lost her husband to suicide in 2013. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I I can't imagine what you're feeling. Um, I can't imagine what you've been through. Let me first say how sorry I am. And this isn't anything anybody should have to go through. And here you are now sharing your story. And truth be told, we just wrapped up a TV interview with Cheryl. So um, we're really putting you through the ringer today. But um, I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I know it's, I know it's very difficult. Um, and it's been really nice getting to know you and, and talking with you and just getting to know you as a, as a human being. So take me back. Take me back to how you and Greg met. We met at work. Um, we worked in the same parking lot for different companies. And um, we met, and um, he was in accounting at the time. So, you know, the police wasn't on the radar at the time. But he had taken the test, and then shortly after, he got called to be a police officer. And I jokingly would say, you tricked me into this <laughs> marriage because I wasn't going to marry a police officer. And and, and that's because you, you had a family of Yes, it's been my really my whole life. Yes, yeah, yes. My and so why do you say that? You know, you tricked me that you uh, you wouldn't necessarily go after a police officer. (laughs) No, I wouldn't, because I know that it can be a very difficult life. The hours, the schedules, you know, the holidays, um, you know, it's it's a hard job. You know, the emotional toll it takes, and just the responsibilities that go with it. It's not a regular nine to five gig. So why did Greg want to be a police officer? He just loved helping people, and he really thought he could make a difference, and I believe that he did. He helped so many people. To this day, people will still come up to me and say, hey, your husband came to my house, my grandma passed away, and he was the first one there. And, you know, he was so kind and so generous and so just so great in such a bad time. You know, police officers respond when it's not a good thing happening. It's people's worst moments, and that's usually the first ones there. So... He made an impact on people's lives, and that's what he wanted to do. He cared about people. He cared about his community. He worked in the town that he grew up in, so he was well-loved, well-liked, you know, well-known, and he knew all the ins and outs, and, and he was comfortable doing that. 
The day he became a police officer, what was that feeling like for him? He was so happy. Hmm. Yeah, when he graduated the academy and we had Olivia, she was an infant. and um, Because you have, you have two kids. Yes. Yeah. And so... He became a sergeant in 2005. So Zach was a year old when he became sergeant. So what did you think the day he became a police officer? Did you share that excitement or were you worried in the back of your mind? I shared the excitement because I knew he had worked so hard to, to get to this point and I knew it was something that he wanted. And so then I was all in. <laughs> <laughs> kind of had to be, didn't you? Yeah, I had no choice at that point. Yeah. So as as life progressed, because he became a police officer in, what did you tell me, 1999? Yes, he was on prior to that part-time kind of gig, but he went to the academy and became a police officer in 1999. Yes. And so how did it progress? So it was just, you know, regular, normal stuff, working and stuff. But it just, you know, he went to some really tough calls and things sort of started powering up. And, you know, he responded to a situation that wasn't even his own town to help out in a man that was suicidal and there was a standoff in the woods for the entire night. And he was actually awarded the Medal of Valor by the state police in recognizing him during the scene of how great he handled himself. But sadly, the man passed away, and that really bothered him. And then he was involved in several car accidents while he was working. And then really the worst possible one was in 2013 where he suffered traumatic brain injury, concussion symptoms, and PTSD, and he just never recovered from that. So there was a lot going on there. A lot. And... Um, I want to break that down a little bit further because you talk about that call that he had gotten. When was that? Do you remember? Um, the call for the... The man who had... In a de- yeah. De- effort, yeah, that was in 2008. Okay. He went to assist another department. And you recall him calling you He called me the next morning to tell me that he would be late coming home because he, this is what had happened. And I was like, oh... Are you okay? Okay, you know I didn't even know what to say, because you just I just didn't expect that. And then he was debriefed by the state police, and you know, and then guess what? He just went right back to work. They just hmm. you know, brush off that uniform and get back out there. You do with the shift. They wanted to know where he was. In fact, really, the police station. What? Why aren't you here? Did he tell you that it bothered him, or did this? Uh... He didn't come out and say it, but I knew that it did. But we haven't really discussed. You know, he, we just t- talked about how awful it was. Of course, all of that. But he never came right out and said, oh, my God, this, you know, right. is awful. I mean, we knew it was awful. But, I mean, he, you know, to that degree. But he didn't, we didn't have a huge sit down and talk about it. Sure. We just, you know, went right along. Like I said, he didn't even, he didn't miss a beat, didn't miss a day. Got his uniform cleaned and he went right back to work. And they expected that of him. Sure. How would you describe Greg as a husband? And a dad. Oh, he was the world's best dad. Hmm. And he was great. He just was a fun guy to be around. He always wanted to make sure that everyone was having a good time. He was like, you know, the mayor. He wanted to make sure that everyone had what they wanted and that everyone was having fun. And he was just, like, fun to be around and kind and just a riot. Like to do things to get people a little riled up. And <laughs> How about... Your relationship with him. You know, you talk to him, you talk about how great a friend he was, how great a dad he was. Well, he was great. He was a very supportive husband, and he was the most handsome man I've ever met. <laughs> and we had a lot of fun times. We had a lot of vacations together and a lot of good memories. 
So he had the call and and then he had the accident. In 2013, he had, and yeah, the, the, the like third car accident, cruiser accident. What happened? Yes. He was responding to a driver that was not driving right. And so what happened? So we pursued the driver trying to catch up to them and in doing that he ended up getting into a, an accident a truck didn't pull over you know to the left and he got in a car accident and it caused significant damage it was he was med flighted from the scene and he had traumatic brain injury concussion symptoms constant ringing in his ears loss of appetite insomnia and he was he was kept overnight in the hospital, and then they sent him home, and things were horrible. He wasn't he wasn't the same person. How so? He was completely void of any feelings or anything. He just he he couldn't he couldn't function. When did that accident happen? In March of 2013. And then we lost him in June, so that like 12 or 13 week period was a living nightmare. He was in so much pain and so much agony and there was no we no one knew what to do like there was no help available and he didn't want to lose his job he was providing for a family he was worried about talking about it yes and worried that he would lose his job because of that yes yes and no one was offering him any help at the police department where he worked what would he say to you he just wanted to go back to work that's all he kept focusing on was going back to work because that's really what he wanted to do because he thought that would make everything better. But he just, he, he was so sick, he just, he didn't really say much. He just was really not feeling well. You were trying to get him some help. You were trying yes. to just get some resources yes. for him. Um, did you ever think it was this bad? I knew it was bad, but you never imagined your worst nightmare. So no, no. I just kept thinking we'd just get him help. I mean, this this is this will happen. We'll just figure this out. You know, every day we'll just figure it out. You know, nothing can be that bad. We'll figure it out. I can't imagine. There are other jobs besides being a police officer. Right, right. I can't imagine when you first found out what had happened. The worst day of my life was telling my children that their father was no longer here. And going to their schools and pulling them out and telling them that was horrific. You went to the school to get them? Yes. Had to because if the word was getting out and with right. social media and with everything, you couldn't chance having them come home. Your kids were 9 and 14 at the time? Yes. Right? Yes. Yes, my son had just turned 9 five days before that. Yeah. So basically he was 8 and my daughter was 14. Yeah. Awful. I don't even know how I did it. But it had to be done. It's terrible. Wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. What would what would people say to you? Because I've I've often spoken with people in your situation, and, and they say people don't know what to say. And that was hard. Yeah. Was people, it, would you say the same thing? Or? People don't know what to say, but I, I I guess I would say that saying something is better than saying nothing. Mm. You know. Because I already know what happened, so it's not like it's reminding me. Because right. I think people tend to say, "Well, I don't want to make her upset, or I don't want to make him sad," or, but we already know. So sometimes to not acknowledge it is is worse, if that makes sense. No, it does. Then to just say, you know, listen, I'm thinking of you, or you know, I'm so sorry that happened, or you know, just something like that sometimes is is nice. 
But then there are other times where I remember going to the grocery store and they're like, oh, I can't see one single person I know today. I just really? can't. Yeah, I can't. Because I just don't want to talk about it either. You know, at some point you're just like, okay. You know, and there's always going to be somebody. I mean, for years that would happen. It would run into somebody that I hadn't seen yet or that hadn't known and had just found out or, you know, some to some degree of that issue, which then is like, that's hard. Um. You know, but it is life. I mean, what do you, what do you, I have no choice. I mean, you're gonna, can't stay in my house all day long sure. either. Now, what is the hardest part today? Oh, every day missing him. Miss him. What do you miss the most? Everything. Everything. His presence, everything. He's missing the kids. You know, growing up, it's terrible. Terrible. People who are listening may, I'm sure many people think, I can't imagine what she's been through, but that she's sitting there talking about it. And it is very important for you that people hear this. Yes, it is. Why is that? Because people need to know or that there's help available and that, you know, you just, if it helps one person realize that this tragedy doesn't, I mean, it's such a tragedy and it shouldn't have occurred. It's such a shame that it did that I want to make sure that if I can help one person realize that there is help and then, then that's my message. You know, you look at the numbers. And I was talking about this earlier. I think the numbers are unreal. And I'm looking at them here. These are nationwide numbers for officers who took their own lives. And this is something that impacts all first responders. It's not just police yeah, officers, no, as not. we've talked about before. Yeah. 2016, 142. 2017, 164. 2018, 165. And as of today, here in May, for 2019, it's at 72. That's just unbelievable. Yeah. Unacceptable. Totally unacceptable. Totally. What do you think, you know, this is something that for so long has been something that people will not talk about. You know, people who are police officers, spouses, police departments, everything. Um, are we are we in a better spot now or what needs to happen? I, I mean, I, I want to believe that we're in a better spot. And I want to believe that, say, if my situation were happening right now or unfolding right now mm. to this in this day, that they that this wouldn't have been the way it turned out. That do you they, believe that or is that? No, I, I do. I feel like more people are, are talking about it and there seems to be more avenues for help that maybe possibly if it happened now we we would be in a different situation. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. Right. Because of these, you know, the years that have gone by and that people are starting to take notice. Hey, what's going on? Why are all these police officers dying? It's almost more okay, acceptable for people to say, "Hey, I have an issue." Yeah, yeah. And there's maybe safeguards in place so that repercussions at work maybe aren't them being fired right away. Right. Maybe them getting help and figuring out what's the best course of action, depending case by case, of course. Maybe. I had asked you earlier before we started this, you know, what do you say to spouses, you know, who may think, oh, my husband or wife, they're fine. They they're they're amazing. They they have an amazing way of 
compartmentalizing all this. They're, they're, they're so tough, mentally tough, and it's amazing, and they're a special person because of this. Um, what do you say to a spouse? And that may be the case for a lot of people, but for some it's not. What, what do you say to a spouse? I would say be checking in frequently and asking, you know, how their mental health is. Like, how are you feeling? How are you processing this? What happened today at work? Mm-hmm. You know, their day at work isn't like a regular nine to five office job. You know, they could they can go from sitting around making, you know, at the desk taking phone calls about people asking for directions to, you know, really volatile scenes. And I would say to check in and make sure they have a mental health policy in place or a doctor or somebody that a counselor that they can t- check in with periodically to try and process some of their emotions. Yes. How are you? Um, how are you now? How are uh, your kids now? My kids are amazing. My kids are so great and so brave and the strongest humans I know. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing as well as I can <laughs> every day. I'm living my life the best way I can because that's what he would want. Is there something you want people to know that we haven't talked about? No, I think that we've covered it. It's um, it's hard to talk about. I, it's not an easy subject right. by any means, no. It's emotionally draining. It is difficult. In some ways, do you feel like you relive it when you talk about it again? or do you, Yes, it definitely you brings a, it to the surface. But, I mean, it's obviously something I, I do live with every day, but... Yeah, I mean, obviously talking about it really really brings it out. Mm. Yeah. But I think it's important. I feel like it's important. And I would not want to talk about him because, you know, I don't want people to forget him either. Right. Well, I can promise you people aren't going to forget. If anything, I've got to believe that somewhere someone is listening to this thinking, maybe I need to do something differently. I agree and I hope yes I hope that people do get the message that there is help available and that there are resources out there and hopefully our society is changing so that people can recognize that you know these people that go in and save everybody need help too and that you can't expect people just not to have that affect them they're human beings well and one thing you had said earlier is it wasn't just one incident no this was years yeah of build up. Yep. And that's such an important thing to talk about. Yeah. The more years you, you put in to the job, the you know, obviously it's cumulative sure. and the more stuff that they are going to see, the chances are likely are, you know. Last question for you. Looking back, do you wish he had not become a police officer or are you um at peace with the impact he had on people? That's a tough one because I do feel like if he had become the accountant that he went to school for, <laughs> we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, he was such a sensitive soul. You know, I think he just internalized all that and then unfortunate circumstances. Um, but to answer your question, I mean, it was something that he loved to do and he was so good at it. Yeah. What's well, a calling for so many people? It you, is. Yes. Know. Yes. As I know. Yes. We were talking about the resources earlier and that's, that's an important part to this and I know we'll be putting some resources online with this episode, but um, if if you are listening and need it, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number is 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. And 
that isn't going to work for you, find someone that will because there's someone out there who wants to help. If it's not a loved one, you know, there are plenty of people out there who want to help. And, um, you know, thank you so much, um, Cheryl, just for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and so transparent. I am so sorry that we have to meet under these circumstances. And if anything good comes out of this, hopefully it's um, that it's helping someone else. And um, but I'm sorry we had to get to this point. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. Um, and I just am very thankful for you and thankful for the friendship. So, um, and I know a bunch of people out there listening are thinking the same thing. And I imagine a bunch of people are thinking, how can I help that woman? <laughs> you know, but um, you're amazing and the mom you are, the wife and just human being you are. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, getting the message out. It's important. We're going to leave it there. And thank you so much for everyone listening. And thank you to all of those out there who are first responders. We'll see you next time for First on Scene. First on Scene is a production of Boston 25 News. It's hosted by me, Blair Miller. The show is produced and edited by Dalton Maine. Music is provided by Killer Tracks. Special thanks this episode to Cheryl Ames for sharing her story so others will share theirs. You can listen to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can read more about these stories at boston25.com slash firstonscene. You can help others find this show by leaving a review, rating, and subscribing. Thanks so much for listening.